0: I love you. Here we go. Thanks for chatting. If you need those mic boxes I talked about, Mrs. Coutts is somebody who could give you a mic box. You can give them a mic box, couldn't you? Sure I could. She says with a grimace as in, where did we put those? <laughs> we'll find one. If you need a mic box, you see Mrs. Coutts. All right, let's pray. Here we go. Happy Reformation Day. Almighty God, Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give thanks for those who have gone before us the wise, the good, the compassionate, the just, the true, the strong, and the faithful. Bring us into their image as they are in yours, that we might be preserved toward our final end, toward the beauty and love you'll surround us with on that last day. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Reformation Day. The music was stunning, was it not? So. I, I, I can't take credit for any of that, uh, but those guys who are doing it should take a lot of credit for it. It was really quite, quite remarkable. Um, so anyway, thank you for that. It makes, it makes the day. So, and we'll actually talk about why today a little bit. So thanks for the music. The money goes to Siberia. If you've got you know ten thousand dollars, you want it to. The bishop will be here next week, by the way. Um, so that'll be nice. The bishop of Siberia will be in town. He'll do Bible study, I think. We haven't quite heard from him but then sometimes it's hard to keep track of where people are and uh, as far as we know he's showing up as far and when he shows up we haven't quite got to the point where we feel like we can let him keep the miter on and go to the altar with this crozier but we're almost there <laughs> so uh, maybe next time around uh, so anyway if you throw some money in there it'll go there do be generous when you buy food for people uh, you know the drill it's great you know go bring a bag or two of groceries back for other people it's really really good uh, what else? Did I forget anything? The music was great. Give some money to people. Give some food to people. Anything else? We may, um, just so you know, so you're not co- totally off guard, we may rearrange this, this room a little bit and we may take some tables out and put some chairs in, just because it's getting to the point of being chaotic, of people moving in and out. There are some of you who definitely at any moment, you know, when things get boring, you're going to pull out the cards and play Canasta. We know that about some of you. But uh, there are others of you who can, who can sit in a chair and manage a cup of coffee, so we're going to experiment a little bit, probably. If not this week, the next week we'll see what happens. Don't um, don't freak out on us if it happens. And if it does happen, you just uh, remember it, this is only a drill. Okay, so it's all going to be fine. Okay, good. Did you get a Did you get a handout somewhere? Okay, so here we go. Uh, here's your homework. This is your homework for next week. This is your homework. This is going to be virtually impossible for most of you. But thank you, you are a kind, kind woman. Uh, Here's your homework for next week, because this is all about doing practical things. Here's your homework. Your homework toward next, oh, be toward two weeks, because I don't get, because the bishop will be here next week. So your homework toward two weeks will be, I just want you to see if you can, this may be impossible for you, I just want to see if you can sit quietly, five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. That's all I want you to do. I want you to pick a place quietly, alone is preferable. Just pick a place where you can sit quietly, just five minutes. You can put the watch on it, get the egg timer out, set the microwave. Sit down for five minutes. To sit down for five minutes in the morning. You can be at your desk at work if you put the phone. Just sit for five minutes and five minutes at night. Just see if you can do that. We'll fill the content later. Observe what happens to you when you try to do this. Just observe in your own life, kind of what happens. Okay, so that's the the only assignment is. See if you can carve out five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night. I'll just be very curious at how that works for you. Um, just see what happens. All right, so that's all. Later, we'll talk about content, but for now, just that. Okay, so um, we did a couple of weeks about the cross, and how the Lord pulls you into the cross, and how he shapes you with the cross, and how he knits together everything in your life, and life is wonderful, because the Lord, you know, you can't see it happening, but the Lord will happen too. So we're just at number one. Here's where we've been. Jesus tugging you near, John 12:32. I'm going to tug everybody close. I'm going to tug the world near into my cross and resurrection, into my glory and my new life, Romans 6. When you get baptized, you're put into this new life, pulling you into his orbit. So that's one way to describe this. There's a hundred other ways to describe it, but pulling you into orbit around Christ. And someday he'll gently land you home, back to Eden. So someday we all get to go home. This will be great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure that you are as well, right? Someday we're all home together as we all are, distinctly with all our personalities as persons but without our flaws, it's going to be wonderful. You know, it's going to be great. Uh, it really, really will. But from now till then, you know, what does that look like? What's it mean to orbit Christ? That's the question. This happy, wonderful, productive, merciful, faithful, communal life, how does that happen? Now, in one sense, it's all going. This, I mean, I just can't wait for Christmas sharing to happen because I know it's going to be fantastic. So in one sense, it happens here. But of course, like any family, you have to nourish that, and then you always get the next good idea, uh, you know, um, Lake Okoboji, that's where we'll go next week. Like that, okay? So, um, life out of orbit is chaos. And chaos, we've talked about this for years, but chaos is the mark of what is sinful. When things are flying in all directions, you know, you're always ducking, you're turning around, you feel evil right here. Somebody does, I mean, things go, chaos is the mark of evil. And so, you know, when Adam and Eve broke the garden, they broke the world, they broke the cosmos. and It, it went chaotic. So, and we won't do this right now, but, you know, quickly describe for me, if you will, a time when your life fell out of orbit or when you noticed that in somebody else. The primary time when people say this to me, when's the primary time that people notice that they're out of orbit? When? When you get sick or worse. When? Somebody dies or you lose a job. Any of those things. And especially a lot of you say, you know, I can make it through, but I wonder what happens to people who don't know anything about Jesus, which is a legitimate question if you can say it in a very non-judgmental way. So you lose a job, you get sick, you know, somebody else near you dies. Uh, there are these things in life, you know, the police call in the middle of the night and say, you know, it's your kid at jail, you know, come pick him up or maybe not. There are these things in life, as busy as you think you are and as complicated as you think life is, you all know that life can get busier or more complicated. There are things that are showstoppers in your life. You know, what do you do? I mean, the answer is going to be you do the same things you've always done because you're in a life that orbits Christ, but that's going to be the answer you know, four months from now, okay? So, um, describe what you see in those who don't know Christ, who don't live in orbit. And here you have this great advantage of being in a traditional, liturgical, handed down for 2,000 or 4,000 years orbit, tried and tested. We know that this method, this liturgy, this service, we know that this makes really good disciples. We don't speak disparagingly about other people. All we say is, we know that history is on our side. We know that scripture is on our side. We know the disciplines are on our side. We know the liturgical life. We know the rhythm is on our side. Okay, So you don't have to say anything bad about anybody else. I'm not interested in that at all. What I'm really interested in is your, and your life and my life and our life together and how we live like little Christ to each other. Straight Luther stuff. So um, chaos, the seminal mark of evil, is stilled by a word. One little word can fell him. Right? Jesus. Word made flesh. Whether this is the Word made flesh or the Word tattooed on you at baptism or the Word located in bread and wine at the Eucharist or the Word ringing in your ears from Scripture, the eternal Word orders life. Okay, it gives order to life. I just want to pause and observe that this is probably the first time I've ever gone through a whole page without stopping since I've known you. <laughs> It feels boring to me, actually. I feel like you're probably going to fall asleep on me. But I want to get to the end of this because I want to make sure that you get your stuff before, we get, you know, before the bishop comes next week and then it'll be two weeks and blah, blah. So, here we go. This life is yours as a gift. There's no greater Reformation thing to say. I mean, the, great, no, the, the Reformation was thought on a single issue. A single issue. There's only one thing that split the church. It's a single thing Does Jesus give it all to you as a gift? Everything you've got, life, salvation, forgiveness, new life, glory. Does he give you all that as a gift, or do you two work it out together? And of course, Paul, Galatians 1.8, if anybody says it's not just Jesus doing it all by himself, let him be anathema. I mean, it's horrible, damned, cursed, sent to hell. But that was the single point at which the Reformation, there would have been no Reformation if it wouldn't have been for that single point. That was the thing that broke. Everything loose. So, the thing that we rejoice in is not that the church broke. We look for a time when it comes back together. The high priestly prayer. Jesus, I pray that they'd be one. But we do have to kind of preserve this single point that everything is gift. Everything is grace. That God does it all. He does it to me. That's the great reformation, the great Lutheran thing. It's already been given to you. You're loved. You're adopted. You're enlivened. You're nourished. You're freed. And now the fun begins. You're alive. What's next? I don't know. We'll see. Every one of you is different. Let's see what the Lord's going to do with you. As you go through life, now, and this is the practical part, how do you keep the chaos from eroding your joy when somebody dies, when you get sick, when you lose a job, when your kid gets arrested, you know, when somebody gets in trouble, when things go badly at school, when somebody gets bullied? I mean, you can list a thousand things. Those are all chaos trying to interrupt your orbit. The question is, how do you push back the darkness? Or, very practically, last weekend, Um, how do you, how do you put the evil one to flight? You know, how do you put the, how do you put the devil to flight? Okay, we're going to talk about that. How do you avoid temptation? It's weird because I have a different climbing experience than you did. I spent four days in two locations with him talking about demons, which has just got me a little bit uh, unnerved in a way, in a good way, unnerved in the way, since you learn stuff you wish you didn't know, and all that you had a very different sense. He talked to you about Joyce, so I have a different experience of his visit maybe than you do. Uh, which is kind of weird. But um, you know, in the end, you know, that part of that's going to develop later. And in fact, much of what I've done here. The great thing about Kleinig is, is I say, you know, I sit down at the table and I say, you know, I've been thinking this, I, I've been thinking about this for a year, and this is how I think the pieces fit together. And then he says, Ah uh, yeah, I've got an article on that from 1986. I said it, when he left, I said, you know, you saved me 10 years of my life. Uh, he, he said, What well, you should have the lecture notes for my stuff on the liturgy. I'm like, okay. I'll he said, you should have my lecture notes on my path. I'm like, okay, I'll take that. You should have this. And by the way, um, just so you know, he's, getting to be, he's got old man's thing going, which is, which is good because he, he's, you know, people can, when they get older, they can kind of collapse into themselves or they can sort of do this. He's sort of done this, and he's putting everything he's got for public domain on a couple of websites. And so I'll point you to those as I sort through them. You can kind of actually see him teaching. He's done this particularly because he works a lot with the Aboriginal peoples, and they often can't get to where he is. He can't get to them. There's people all around the world who kind of want him to come, and he can't travel enough anymore to get that done. So, in fact, he took recordings of all the stuff that he did here, the previous time here, and the other two times to shoot that up. So I'll point you toward that, which is, you know, all you can say is thanks be to God for that. Okay? So the question is, the very first question I ever put to you, how does Jesus make the best use of you? At your time, with your kids, you know, and your job, and your place in life, and your particular skills, how does Jesus use you best? Every one of you is different. The key to the church is to have the Holy Spirit knit those together so that you run you know, at the perfect RPMs and that you work you know, at the same time with everybody else. And that becomes the church. So, how does that work? How do we serve the church and the world? This should be fun. You know, in some sense, if your church isn't fun, I mean, I know it's going to be difficult. It's against the demonic. But at some point, you know, if you're not having fun, if it doesn't sound like what's happening downstairs during coffee, it doesn't sound like the choir this morning. And the choir was fun. I mean, it was just remarkable stuff. If you don't, if you're not having those experiences, you're not, you got something kinked up and you need to kind of change things, okay? So, we're in a very blessed time right now. Things are going very, very well. People are very, very happy. This is just like your family. How do you preserve that? You know, when your family is happy, you know if you do particular things, it will keep going and get better. If you do other things, you will blow the place up. Okay? So you know, in a very happy way, let's ask the question, hey, what have we been given and how can we do better? Right? This is great. After all, Jesus gives us gifts, and these gifts are meant to be used. And then the code work, this is just what Christians do. This isn't anything abnormal, and I don't care if nobody else who's Christian you know is doing this. This isn't abnormal. The stuff we're going to talk about has been done for two thousand years, three thousand years, four thousand years. We're going to start with a psalm today. You know that's three thousand years ago. I mean, people have been doing this for three thousand years. If we aren't doing it, you know, it's we're the impoverished ones. You know, we suffer. Okay, number two. In everything we do, this is extraordinarily important. So I give you this top. What I, I can't remember. How do I do? How do I begin to meditate? Okay. Usually, you know, um, you know, I wear flowy robes and charge you sixty nine dollars and three different payments. To how do you begin to meditate? Usually, it's very complicated, and you need to spend a lot of time with me. So this is that's not the way. That, this is very simple and it's free. The way Scripture talks about meditation, it's doable for almost everybody. Occasionally you get a glitch, and this happens with all the gifts in the church. Sometimes, for some people, it just doesn't work. You know? And you, know, you work with that, and you pray about that, and you try to bless people into it. But for most people, this is kind of the normal life of the church. What the scripture talks about is meditation. Okay? So here we go. Um, point number three. Let's start, but keep it very simple. as simple as I can make it if you've got a Bible, you can open to Psalm 1, but I'm only going to go to two verses, otherwise we'll be here too long, because Psalm 1 is this gorgeous thing where it says, you want to stay, away. maybe we'll come back to this when it's the temptation, where it says, here's how you stay away, here's what temptation looks like, here's how you stay wise and stay away from temptation. You know, you walk, you sit, you listen, you participate, you're dead, you walk by, keep going up toward the temple, you're going to be fine. You stay in the presence of Christ, all is well, you stay in the presence of evil, it deceives you, father of lies you're done for don't touch it we've talked about this so much okay that's for another day today blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers all i'm going to observe is this is a very particular question about how you use your five minutes so i mean i don't want to ruin you too much but what's going to happen in your five minutes is all sorts of things are going to come to mind for most of you, because you're all, you know, all your RPMs are running in the red. So what's going to happen is you're going to be thinking about a client and your mother-in-law and, you know, i got got to get to a meeting and I didn't pay that parking ticket. My guess is that's what's going to happen to you, although they don't want to ruin you too much. Or you can sometimes, in the quiet time, it's not unusual for you to be assaulted by evil. If you really believe it's spiritual warfare, powers and principalities, that demons exist, that angels do too... They're going to be vying for your time. Just like when we said, when we baptize a child, you know Luther's offhanded comment, we didn't do this kid any favors. You'll waken the demons in the same way when you decide that you will spend some time in meditation, you, you become a target. It's the C.S. Lewis thing, right? The, the easiest way to damn a man is not to bother him. Just let him alone. He wakes up and he finds himself in hell one day. Okay? So you're bothering, you're bother- you're running against the darkness of the universe. You're poking them, they're going to poke you back. Now, we've learned that. If you poke things, they poke you back. The question is, when you get poked back, how do you proceed? We're going to talk about that, although I just, just not to leave you hanging, in case it happens between now and three months when we talk about it, is you invoke the name of Jesus and you ignore it. That's the normal way. You show contempt for the devil show contempt for the devil he's powerful but not all powerful you show contempt for him and you simply turn away from it we'll talk about how to do that but later that's when how do I avoid temptation that's down the road a little bit okay but I just want to give you that now because if you start to sit down in the morning you start to sit down at night just like the catechism says in the morning and in the evening you're going to draw fire okay so I'm going to make your lives worse than they are now that's why you pay me Um, you know, I'm going to make your lives worse on the way to getting better. You know, it's like when you go to the doctor and he says to you, now this is going to hurt just a little bit. You know, you've had that experience at the doctor? Yeah, okay. So, blessed is the man who walks not, stands not, sits not, but his delight, his joy, is in the law of the Lord and on his law, and there's the word, he meditates day and night. You got it? So this is just basic stuff that the church has known for three or four thousand now, three or four thousand years. What does it mean when it says? Um, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on His law he meditates day and night. So there's your morning and evening. There's your five minutes in the morning, that's your five minutes at night. We'll talk about whether it should be an hour or two hours or three minutes. We'll have to adjust for some of you. But um, morning and evening. okay? So the word. Hagah to moan, to growl. That's very interesting. This is the word meditates. This is what it means. To muse, to mutter, to meditate, to devise, to plot, to speak. These words, you know, like English words have long things. To utter, to speak, to devise, to imagine. Okay, and then also, you remember the Hebrew uh, Old Testament was translated into Greek. They needed a word. And you listen to those church fathers because they are very close to the text and they say among themselves... Now, how do we pick the right word? How do we pick the right word to use? Um, it's like when they, when they had to come to the, the words about the Eucharist, they could have picked is or signifies, and they picked is. They're like, yeah, it is the body and blood. It doesn't signify the body and blood. They had two words they could pick. They picked is. You know, they told us what they thought. It's not a sign. It is the same body and blood on the cross. In the same way, what does it mean? Blessed is he who practices. Blessed is he who cultivates. Blessed is he who thinks about. So we need to think about what that means, okay? So flip the page, number five. You proud of me? Two pages in. How about this, huh? It's like the new me. I've turned over a new leaf. It should last, I don't know, another six minutes or so. Then I'm, I'll get distracted by something. So I give you Kleinig's uh, article there. Um, and much of what follows is indebted to him, not only in you know, conversation, but also in writing. But I just I just want to honor him in that way. Um, if you can find a couple of guys who will give you guidance, it's good. I I need a guy who's always about 15 years ahead of me. It's very helpful for me. Uh, just just, tell he's 70. I'm not going to get that many more shots with him. Um, you know, it's just, it's really nice. So, good guy. I just want to give him a proper respect and honor. Yes, please. Where are you? Marilyn, there you go. Yeah. Uh, probably is. I can get you a copy too. I don't think I marked mine intentionally. I believe it is on an internet. I think it's J. W. Kleinig. You can Google him up. Um, I don't know if you'll get the. I think he's got both the written stuff and the video stuff on there. If it's not there, I think it's just his initial. It may be. It may be like J. W. Kleinig or something. But you'll find it. I mean, Google it up. You're 21st century people. You know how that works. Okay. If you don't find it, let me know, though. I have intentionally not marked my copy over the weekend while I was working on it. So Luther goes to the monastery. He picks the Augustinian monastery because they're the toughest monastery in town. And like every new monk, every novice, somebody on the way to being a monk, like every novice, he learns to meditate. That's just one of the things they taught you, like, you know mucking out the stalls and making beer. That's one of the things you learned as a monk, okay? You just learned, everybody learned it, and there were all sorts of different ways to do it, and he would have learned out of the Augustinian tradition, but it would have been heavily influenced by you know medieval learning. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit of that here. You may, and what I've tried to do, here's what I've tried to do. Sometimes the medieval stuff can be, be very esoteric, and it can be very complicated. Some of you enjoy that, some of you don't. What I've tried to do, I've tried to give you the most basic kind of picture of a human being that I can, that I can give you. It's just a simple, this is under keeping it simple, I've tried to give you the most simple thing so that when you begin to meditate, you actually know what's going on in your soul, what's going on in your heart, okay? Because sometimes you'll say, this is working or this is not working, you're like, what's wrong? Do I have a kink in the hose over here? What? A-? So I just want to explain to you the most simple anthropology, the most simple construction of your body, or how how... Um, you're envisioned in Scripture. So here we go. What is meditation? And Luther meditated his entire life. He did it all the way to the end. I mean, he tweaked it and pushed and pulled and it was influenced by what he learned as a reformer, but he did it all the way to the end. All the way. You know? And we'll talk about what that means. So, it's common. What is it? Seven. The first thing is meditation is chewing, which may not seem natural to you. Meditation puts something at the center of your attention, so you've got something like this. We're all going to pay attention now to this. Okay? You've got something in the middle in front of you. And the words for it are medio, medium, both in Latin, which means middle center. And that's the, you can hear it, you know, medio or medium, uh, that, that comes out to be meditation in the English. It means whatever's at the center. So it means centering something. Okay, this is why, you know, this goes right with the orbiting thing, right? You orbit around something. There's some center that draws you in. Okay? Meditating, chews on something, it works something over and over again. And so then this very basic distinction between thinking and meditating. Okay? So I'll say this really simply and then we'll go through it. You think with your mind, and when you think, you go. A, B, C, D, E, therefore, F. You got it? You're trying to move in a line. You're trying to get from A to B. You're trying to figure something out. How do we get from here to Rockford? Well, you go to the corner, and then you turn left, and you turn right. and then. So thinking is with your mind, and it's sequential. A, B, C, D, E, therefore, F. Make sense? You're just running in a line. That's not what the scriptures mean by meditation. It's not what Luther meant. That's not what the church means meditating actually stops the process at some point. So you don't think about, you're not with your mind thinking about your coffee cup and then your pen and then the cover on the book is coming off and you've got glasses in your hand, A, B, C, D. That's not how it works. It works instead to say, right now I'm just going to pay attention to the coffee cup and I'm not paying any attention to the glasses. You're not going anywhere. And it is engaged with the heart. Question Yes, I only mean that something is at the center. There's an object of your attention. That's all I mean. So here's the thing: you're a clever guy, and I know you got a little bit of training. Here's the deal: um, that rings in, as you know, all sorts of secular meanings. You know, all sorts of other religious meanings. All sorts of stuff. So, um, and I got it. So what I'm trying to do? Well, I'm hoping first that nobody notices that. And then second, um, but I'm going to push that away and just try to let it mean the most simple possible thing. Orbit was the, only, was the best way for me to think about it. So if you orbit around Christ, around his cross, that's clearly the thing at the center, right? And that's all I'm trying for you to do. I'm just trying to say, this is what's at your center. Okay, so, um, you know, to, uh, to, you think in a line with your mind. You meditate in one place with your heart. So now I'll just give you the simple thing. The mind is about thinking, and this is going to be really weird for you, um, Lutheran types who are very you know, logical and Germanic, especially on Reformation Day. Luther actually says the primary, the primary impulse here, well, you can't break yourself in pieces. The primary impulse is not with your head, but with your heart, not what you think, But what you feel. Isn't this interesting? For Lutherans who are especially given to the Word and getting things in line? Now, why is that? You know, you actually know this because you know a little bit of your Bible. Um, In James, I think it says, the devils what? Fear and tremble. They know intellectually, the devil's demons know intellectually that Jesus is the Word made flesh, died, and resurrected. They know that intellectually with their heads. But they don't accept it in their hearts. Good Friday is the, the best example of that, where just for a moment Satan thinks he's won. You know, that great scene in uh, the Mel Gibson movie, where, where Satan thinks he's won, and then this great teardrop drops from heaven and sort of washes the whole scene clean and moves in a different direction. So the church has always distinguished between scientia, knowing. And fiducia, trusting. You can know something with your head, but not be able to embrace it with your heart. Meditation is the embrace. It's actually, just for the easiest way to talk about it, is love. You think with your head, you love with your heart. Make sense? sense? Meditation is about loving with your heart. Now, the hard question is going to be, and we'll do this next time, which is, You remember how Luther started. When Luther was was in the monastery, he was tortured. Why was he tortured? Remember what he said? He said, I hated God. This great confession. I hated God, and the more I studied, the more I hated him. I hated him because he asked me to do the impossible. He asked me to be righteous. I hated God. He asked me to be good, and I knew I couldn't be good. I hated him. Right? And then, of course, his answer will be your answer, which is... Suddenly, he figures out that by reading scripture, reading scripture, meditating on scripture, especially that single word righteousness, he realized that righteousness was not what God demanded of him, but what God gave to him as a gift. Right? So it was meditation that saved Luther. It wasn't his brain that saved him, it was his heart that saved him. I mean, when he thought about it, he hated God. When the Holy Spirit worked on him through the Word of God, he loved God. And, you know, after that you get a reformation. Make sense? So that's what we're going to work on. All right, so this notion of meditation chews on something, you get this ruminari, to ruminate, to chew over, you, for you farmers in the crowd to chew cud. You've seen, this is exactly what it means. You're the cow. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's Orton. I knew he'd be around. Right? So they, they, they spit it up. They chew on it for a while. They swallow it down, work it over. They spit it up again. Oh, it tastes different this time. That's got to be what cows are thinking because if you've ever watched this, you're like, that cannot taste the same as when you first started. Okay? So you, that's what Ruminari is. You know, you, you sort of bring it up. You swallow it down. You bring it up. You swallow it down. At some point you absorb it and it disappears and you move on to the next thing. That's what you call spiritual growth. Make sense? So you you spit it up, you swallow it down, you spit it up, you swallow it down, you bring it up in front of you, you put it away, you look at it again, and then finally that becomes your friend, you love it, it blesses you, and you move on to the next thing. That's how it works, okay? So, and I've given you the rest of the page. Thinking and meditating are not the same. Thinking makes progress. Meditation stops. So in some sense... Meditating is more than thinking, right? It's concentrating. It's persistent. It's deep. It's diligent. And it sort of goes until it doesn't need to go. Flip your page. Of course, the Word of God, and I don't separate here. You know, I want to be extraordinarily careful not to separate. And this is, get your lines right if you're a Lutheran. It's first the Word incarnate. First Jesus and then Scripture. It's not Scripture, then Jesus. It's other way around. It's Jesus, then Scripture. You believe Scripture because you believe Jesus. First, you love Jesus, then you love Scripture. That's how it works. Okay. So the Word of God is the object of meditation, um, and it's simply it's simplest if we don't split these things. And just as an aside, memorization helps. You know, memorization has been out of style for about thirty years, about forty years. Um, I always tell you the story of my grandmother. This is a fit story for Reformation Day who on her confirmation day sat in front of the um, congregation and answered all 162 questions from the catechism in German because she was the only kid in the class. She was still scarred by that 80 years later. Okay? But at least she had something to ruminate on. You know, There was stuff that she could bring to mind in order to talk about it. So I just put in a little plug for memorization, even if it's a little thing. Now here's the cool thing. One of the best experiences, I mean, there's highlights in every week. One of them is always the catechumen on Saturday morning. There's nothing I'd rather do. But I have to tell you, the other thing that is just a great highlight is, you know, we kids come on Wednesday at 4 o'clock. They all trundle up to the altar in the back. They all kind of surround the pastors. And then they start to sing from memory. And they'll sing three or four or five Taze things, a couple of them in Latin. You know, and sometimes, and somebody cleverly. I don't know if it was Gretchen Scheele or Val. Somebody taught them to sign a couple of them, so they can, which is double reinforcement because you've memorized it with your hands, right? As with your body as well as with your mouth. It's it's the most stunning thing to sit down and listen to kids. They they'll have that with them for life. When you ask, you know, why do you do to stuff, and that's repetitive. There's two reasons. One is it's scripture. It's always scripture. And two is. Um, You know, they got to have something that they can pull back up when they're under attack, when they're tempted to do the wrong thing, when they're in despair. You need something to pull up and chew when the going gets tough. And you'll do it. Here's the thing. Everybody does this. You shouldn't... It's like, you know, it's like a couple who's having marital problems. They come and sit in my office and, you know, nobody talks. And then I say, you know, what's the trouble? And they say... Well, we just don't communicate. I'm thinking to myself, you're communicating. I mean, the message is loud and clear, okay? It's unmistakable what's, what, what's being said here. Well, that, it's the same thing when you get tempted or when you have trouble. If you don't have this stuff in your reserves, your natural bias, original sin, is to draw up self-interest. You know, to draw up pride. But if you put other things into you, like starting with the body and blood, and then the readings from every week, and then the colics that you memorize, and the Our Father, which is this great thing, and the creed, if you put those into people and they memorize it, which is, now I'm arguing for why there's a liturgy that stays the same every week, because someday you're going to be dying in the hospital and nobody's going to be around, and you're going to need a word. Or when we go see old people who have lost their memories, and they've got about a three-minute loop, But if you pull out the liturgy, their loop expands to about 17 minutes. It's a flippin' miracle because they know, you know, they know what was put in them, right? Or when you say the verb and they sort of say them along, you're like, so I just put the plug in for liturgy slash repetition slash memorization so that you've got cud to chew. Okay, got it? Still with me? Everybody okay? Yes, Mr. Orton. Yes, that's right. Which, as Dickens said, was the best of times and the worst of times. We can ruin ourselves in all sorts of ways. But it also, you probably know a thing or two that you got in the 40s at St. John and Elgin, don't you? Still there, right? So you're blessed by that. Yes, exactly right. I had difficulty learning to read. I I memorized before I read Yeah, exactly right. And that's not unusual, for example. I was actually thinking about that today during the, during the glorious piece at the offering. I was like, I couldn't work the middle Latin word out. I'm like, what the heck? I'm losing my mind here. And then, of course, the translation was there. And I was like, but that's how, then I was reflecting. This is what I'm thinking about at the altar. I'm thinking about how that those words help people understand, you know? It was glorious stuff. We so. make, at COD, we make people memorize, but they teach horticulture. Right? Yes, right, of course. Yes. That's right, yeah, exactly. And that, that means they, one of the first things they have to do is memorize. Them. Yeah, you can't stop and explain the terms, if you're, especially if you're teaching them. You can't stop. And it, you've all been around professionals and you can't understand them. I mean, there are people who do understand them, I assure you, but it, you have to speak the language if you're going to play at a particular level, right? right? Which is what all of you are doing here. Thank you very much. We all have different languages. We do have different languages, um, but I'm going to move away from that marriage thing you're going toward and push you back toward the outline. <laughs> Y'all got a smile out of her. That's good. Okay, so <laughs> the first thing to say is meditation is chewing. Let me give you a second one. Meditation is talking, and I should have put talking out loud, not the voices in your head, but meditation is talking out loud. It's really interesting. St. Ambrose, um, so, you know, Bishop of Milan, died four, four, 386, 416, I don't know, so right around there. One of the stunning things about Saint Ambrose is some disciples walked in and he was saying his prayers one day, and he was moving his lips but so no sound was coming out. Which now, having read this, I'm more reflective on that. I always thought, well, that's a very interesting thing, and then I always thought, how for 400 years, how could, how could that be a surprise in the year, let's just say, 360? How could that be three and 160 years after Christ? How could that be a surprise that somebody would be kneeling down and saying his prayers without talking? By the way, I love Ambrose love him for two reasons. One, he, has a, he had a metal altar like we do. And two is, about, I don't know, I'm getting old now. Fifteen years ago, ten years ago, they were doing renovations on the cathedral. And lo and behold, they found a skull buried under the altar and they knew it was Ambrose. How did they know? Because he had a deformity. One eye was lower than the other. Uh, this is well documented. One eye was lower than the other. And they found a skull under the altar with one socket lower than the other. I mean, what are the odds? I suppose they could have, you know, but... So, I mean, plus we found him. That's fun. Anyway, I think to myself, you know, what, now I, th- I don't think as fondly, though, of this, having read this, because Luther is very clever. He says, when you put a word in the air, he said it's like you take an herb and you crush it to smell it. You know, you take an herb or you take a... You know, you put it between... Take garlic, you know. Go home. This is your homework, too. Get yourself a clove of garlic. Stand really close to your wife or your kids. Put it in your hand. It'll be okay. And then just crush it in your hand and see what happens. Right? It's released. Well, Luther says the same thing happens when you take a word of Scripture and you read it out loud. This is part of the reason why we say prayers out loud. We say the creed out loud. We respond out loud. Why is that? Because what happens is, and then communally it's even better, which is you take the word... You put it out into the air. It takes a right turn, goes 180, hits your eardrum, goes right over above your nose, goes straight down, hits your heart, and explodes with meaning. That's how he describes it. And of course, if you think of that communally now, you're not only putting the word into your own ear, but you put the word into other people's ears. And of course, this is the greatest example. This is a funeral where if you can't speak, we speak for you. And if you can't sing, we sing for you. And if you can't cry, we cry for you. If you can't pray, we pray for you. We put words into your ear, and we aim them at your heart. It's a genius insight. So um, you'll want to, you know, I'm sort of giving you things toward, you know, when we fill up that five minutes that you're going to try to carve out, one of the things you're going to want to be able to do is talk aloud. It's that your own tongue helps your own ear help your own heart, okay? So it makes it a more physical process. So Luther can say, Meditation is a continual chattering and conversation of the mouth. It's out loud. Now, here's the thing. Um, hopefully, you know me well enough to, to say to you, you know, you're know, you driving along and you know, you're know you thinking about the little baby Jesus, but you're not talking out loud like that guy next to you singing along with Jay-Z. It's usually a white man, balding, 50. <laughs> you think he's very strange. And, of course, you don't want people thinking of you that way. I mean, I get that I'm not being critical of you you know, other times just having thoughts. I'm just saying, for the time that you set aside for your meditation, give this a go. Because um, it has a long sort of history. And in this, you get a double bonus. You're not just speaking, you're also hearing. So uh, speaking releases the meaning of the word, like crushing an herb, and it, it sort of hits you in the heart. And the hearing, what happens is then you pull your whole body in the same direction. And, of course, you know your body and soul, or body, or soul, and spirit, or body, mind, soul, spirit, depending on how you want to cut yourself up. But the gist of it is you want to pull everything in the same direction toward the grace of God, around the cross, toward Christ. Okay. And Luther presumes, I mean, in the simplest way, and I've said this already, if, if Luther was going to just give a real nice description of Nancy, he would say, well, she's a soul, a living soul. He's just saying you're a living person, a living being. And you primarily have two bits. You've got your mind and your heart. Your mind thinks your heart feels. That's what he'd say. Here's the thing. It doesn't have to be exhaustive. This is keeping it simple. So, turn the page. Meditation is first a matter of the heart. And the main emotions of the heart are joy and sorrow, hope and fear, love and hate. Okay? And I'll give you this last thing, then we got to go. Um, I've got to give you two things. For Luther, the affective, the thing that affects you, aspect of meditation took precedence over the cognitive. So the feeling is more important than the thinking. Just as an aside, you can see now when we built the new sanctuary why we made such a big deal out of beauty. Because what? You can think all day about the icon. You can think about it. You can think about it's 63 layers of paint. You can think about she was blowing on it and saying prayers when she was making it. You can think that you like the wounds. You can think that you can't tell if he's dead or alive. You can think that all day long. But someday, you have this emotional reaction to it and then it's yours! Which is exactly what happens in the Scripture. Okay? So, the, the point of your life is to appropriate more and more of the Scripture through meditation so that it spits itself back up when you need it like when you're under demonic attack when you're tempted to do ill when you see somebody who's in trouble when you're tempted to say a bad word whatever okay i'm going to give you the last thing and you can then kind of read through this and we'll start here number 11 meditation rearranges our emotions so here's what happens you read the word of scripture it comes out of your mouth it comes around hits your ear it drops down it goes to your heart and it's like the holy spirit is rearranging the furniture. You've had this happen, right? You've had a sleepover at your house. You know what can happen. Right? I mean, I love that I love my kids, but the coolest thing about my kids being at college is I can put my keys there and I can come back tomorrow and guess what? It's a miracle. Forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Happy Reformation Day. See you next time.